I have always enjoyed reading Sherlock Holmes mysteries. Uh, I've read them all, and I know them all by heart, but I still find joy in, in the whole story that's laid out there and how you get so many details, some that seem to be so unimportant and through the story, and then you don't know uh, who done it until you get to the very end, and Sherlock Holmes peels back all the layers and brings all the details together, and it seems so obvious. And you see who done it, and of course justice is done. I love those books, even though I've read them all uh, multiple times now. Uh, you know, you, you read these mystery novels and such, and you know, as you're reading it, and you get all these details and the different plot twists, and you wonder, how in the world is this ever going to work out? And sometimes you're tempted to go and read the last chapter just so you can find out what's going to happen. And then, you know, you can go through the story, through the novel, and read it and kind of relax and enjoy how the, the drama unfolds. I don't know if anybody's ever done that who's cheated that way, but uh, maybe you have. But life is a lot like a mystery novel. You know, we don't know how it's all going to turn out. We have a plan for how we want our lives to turn out. Uh, we have this plan, but every day, constantly, we are facing things that are not part of the plan. Plot twists come along that we never planned on. Details come to us that we don't understand, nor do we want them. I would venture to say that not one person here today got where you are today because you laid out a plan and a detailed administration of that plan brought you to the place you are today. That just doesn't happen that way. Things have happened. Your life has changed dramatically because of things that you never imagined would come into your life. And now we all, as we sit here today, we don't know how our lives will work out in the end. How will our lives work out in the end? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our lives were kind of like a novel? We could go to the last chapter to see how it's all going to work out, to see how it's, how it's going to end. And then you can kind of like relax and enjoy the unfolding of the drama of your life. If you knew the last chapter of your life, then you could deal much easier with what is on your plate today. Things that may seem very important to you, if you read the last chapter, you might say, well, well that's not really all that important at all. And then you might also say, well, something that seemed unimportant before is of vital importance. So when you understand what the end is, it changes your values. It changes what you, what you think of as important or as unimportant. It has a way of focusing and giving you perspective. Well, I've got good news for us today. God has let us take a glimpse into the last chapter of life. And we find it in the book of Revelation. The end here is all laid out for us. And God invites us to eavesdrop on eternity and let it change our perspective on the here and now. Now, God's story is a story of eternity, and your story, your individual story, will only make sense if you look at it from the perspective of eternity. 
Now, looking at the text before us, just to give you some context, uh, we are introduced in the, the book, in chapter 1, to Jesus Christ. He comes in uh, and he reveals himself to John and he's saying, John, I want you to write down the things that you see. Whereas in many of the other books of the New Testament, uh, the writers are told to write down what they hear. But John is given visions, and he's writing down things he sees. It's almost like a, a movie that he's getting, some snapshots at the end of time. Chapters 2 and 3 are taken up with notes to the churches. Seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and these churches are really struggling. There's a lot of persecution of the church. They don't even know if they're going to survive, and these Christians are really having a hard time dealing with their lives, kind of like we are today. They don't know how it's all going to work out. They don't know uh, if they're going to live tomorrow, if someone's going to come and, and kill them for their faith in Jesus Christ. So their lives are very much in flux, and they don't know if they have a future. And so Jesus has come to John and said, look, I want you to go to these churches, and, and I have a word for them, and I want them to see the last chapter so they can deal with all the difficulties they're going through. And the same is true for us. So chapters 2 and 3 are letters to these seven churches that John receives from Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, it says this. If you look at, at verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, that's the, verse, the voice from chapter 1, Jesus' voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, and then you get this revelation of of the throne of God in heaven. He sees God's throne. And it's as if Jesus is saying to these churches and to John, look, there's a great God sitting on the throne. You know, you think the emperor of Rome is the great emperor, the great sovereign, and he's after you. He's the one causing the persecution. But let me show you who's really on the throne. And that's what chapter 4 is all about. Jesus, the Lord God, he is on the throne. He is the King of Kings. We have a benevolent sovereign on the throne, and he has our best interest at heart. You see how that would be such an encouragement to those people in that day. Now we come to chapter 5. And so chapter 4 and 5, we're kind of peeking under the hood, the machinery of the universe, to see how things are really working. And that's what's going to give us perspective. And we need that dose of perspective, a reordering of our priorities. And we need to have this on a regular basis, and Revelation gives us that. If we're going to survive in this world, we need this. We need to see that there is a hopeful future for us, because there is a hopeful future for those who are Jesus Christ. So look, look at now at verse uh, 1 of chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, the first thing we encounter here in chapter 5 is this scroll in the hand of God the Father sitting on his throne. And no one at all is worthy to open this scroll. What is this scroll? Well, this scroll represents God's eternal plan. 
His decree, which is all-comprehensive, it symbolizes God's purpose with respect to the entire universe throughout history and concerning all creatures in all ages, in all eternity. But the, the scroll is closed. It's sealed up. And the meaning is this. The closed scroll indicates the plan of God unrevealed and unexecuted. If that scroll remains sealed, God's purposes are not realized. His plan is not carried out. To open that scroll by breaking the seals means not merely uh, to reveal God's plan, but it means to carry out God's plan. So John sees this. He sees that no one's worthy and he begins to weep because God's plan is not going to be carried out. The evil that is rampant in the world is going to take over. The brokenness of the world is going, to, is going to continue on. And things are going to be all messed up. And so John is weeping. He's weary and tired. And he, he knows these churches that he pastors from the island of Patmos, these seven churches, they're struggling. And will they survive? So he weeps. If the scroll is opened, then the universe is governed in the interest of the church. Then God's glorious redemptive purpose is being fulfilled, being realized. His plan is being carried out. And the contents of the scroll come to pass in the history of the universe. But if the scroll is not opened, it means that there will be no protection for God's children in the hour of bitter trial, no judgments upon this persecuting world, no ultimate triumph for believers, no new heaven, no new earth, no future inheritance. All is lost if the scroll is not opened. So John weeps, but then we read verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. John is told to weep no more. Weep no more, John. Dry your eye. There is one who is worthy. There is one who has conquered. There is one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He can open the scroll and it's seven seals. So when John looks, you, know, you think, okay, the line of the tribe of Judah, he's the one that's, that's done this. So he looks, and you would think, well, John's looking for a lion here. But he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Uh, a lamb as though it had been slain. He sees Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who has carried out God's plan for the universe. God's redemptive plan for the universe. His redemptive purpose. He came to earth to carry out the Father's plan. He says that. If you read the book of John especially, John records Jesus' words time and again saying, I came to do my Father's will. I came to give my life as a ransom for many according to my Father's will. Time and again, he reiterates that he's obedient to the plan of the Father. He's carrying out the plan. He's the one who suffered and died in his people's place so that they could be redeemed. See, everything had been lost in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell, when they sinned against the Lord, that marked all of us. 
We have this sin nature that causes us to not desire the things of God, causes us to, to run from the very benevolent, sovereign king of the universe that we should run to. It causes us to desire the wrong things, things that aren't good for us, things that don't bring glory to, the, to our Creator. So we're all broken. The world has got a curse placed on it. You know, the, the, uh, was in, a, uh, in the Mississippi Delta where there were lots of farms and farmland and farmers, and they were constantly fighting the curse. You know, if you plant a garden, what's going to come up? You know, weeds are going to come into your garden naturally. You don't have to plant weeds ever. They just happen because of the curse that was placed on the ground when Adam and Eve. So it's by the toil and sweat. And that means the world is broken and it's always difficult. That's why your life, the story of your life, is always fraught with these plot twists that you don't plan for. Nobody plans for difficulty in their lives. It just comes naturally. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to ask for it. It comes naturally because of the world in which we live, this broken world. But Jesus came, as we sing, uh, I think it's joy to the world at Christmas. He came to reverse, where, as far as the curse is found, He came to reverse the curse that was placed on the earth, to free the world from its curse. And He will do that one day when He comes again. But He has conquered death. He, is, he has done away with uh, sin when He died on the cross. It's Lamb who was slain is the one who is carrying out the plan of the Father. And He is the one with whom believers will enjoy a future inheritance. So we get this glimpse into the future. Well, let's read on and see how they respond to this news that, that God's plan is carried out in the Lord Jesus Christ. Redemption. That's what God's purpose is, to redeem this earth and to redeem His people. Verse 8, And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and heard round the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering of myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So the worship uh, explodes as Jesus takes the scroll, as God's plan is carried out, as the one, uh, the Lamb who was slain provides redemption for God's people and, and God's place. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth because of what Jesus has done. That's the last chapter of the story. That's what's going to happen. And that's a perspective giver for us. And we can worship the Lord for that. No matter what the difficulties are we're going through now, no matter what the trials are, no matter what the plot twists that come into our lives, how much they throw us for a loop, we know the end of the story. We know that Christ has conquered sin and death. 
We know that God is going to save His people. We know that there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. We know that those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they are accepted by the Father. So when the rest of the world rejects you, you can always say, well, the God of this universe, the one who sits on the throne, He accepts me through Jesus Christ. Even though the trials may come and difficulties uh, may come into my life, I know that one day there will be no more weeping. There will be no more tears for those who are in Jesus Christ. All these problems and this pain are just, as Paul says, light and momentary troubles compared to the eternal weight of glory. That's what we're seeing a glimpse of here in Revelation chapter 5. Look at the front of your bulletin. There's a quote from Paul Tripp on this particular chapter. And he sums it up very well. No matter what is on your plate right now, if you are God's child, there is one sure thing to cling to. You have a bright future. It is brighter than anything you could grab hold of today. It is brighter than anything you could wrap your brain around. God is going to wipe away your final tear, and you won't have to journey anymore. The only real reason to stay on the pathway is that someday it will end, and in the cool shadows of the Lord's tent, you will rest forever. God lets you look into then, so that as you face the trials of now, you will have hope that is stronger than your disappointment, encouragement that overwhelms your regret, and a dream to motivate you that is better than any dream you could have conjured up for yourself. I love that quote and what this chapter means to us. Several months ago, I was watching WW2 in HD, uh, and I, I love that show. It follows the stories of several servicemen in World War II and uh, does so with high definition. And uh, it's really interesting to hear the stories of these servicemen and women uh, as they went through the trials of World War II. And the episode that I remember uh, was the Air Wars, the last episode. And it featured the 8th Air Force's 100th bomb group called the Bloody 100th. The Bloody 100th, because the group suffered tremendous losses in combat. 177 aircraft missing in action during the war. Now, their losses weren't because they were unskilled, but because the mission that they had was so dangerous. They were to destroy the Luftwaffe and often had to fly on bombing missions without the protection of fighter planes. This was before the P-51 Mustang had come onto the scene. And so there were no fighters that had the, the range of the B-17 bombers. So the fighter planes they had would travel for a little while, but by the time they got to Germany, the fighter planes had to go, go by them, the, the bombers had to go by themselves without escort. So they were flying over Germany for hundreds of miles, enduring the flak and the enemy fighters in order to prepare the way for the D-Day invasion. And so the show extensively interviews one of the bombardiers from the group, and this man said something that caught my attention. He said, In war, there is no tomorrow. There is only today. There is no future. You just lived for the present because you did not know if you were going to survive until tomorrow. And when I heard him say this, it made me think of the Christian life. You know, we live in a broken, sinful world. The Bible tells us that Christians are in a war. 
Uh, we must put on the armor of God, as Paul says. We must fight the good fight. There's an enemy who's a roaring lion seeking whom uh, he may devour, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. We can't physically see that enemy all the time, but we all know the results of his work. There are temptations on every side, trials that challenge our faith, sufferings that cause us to doubt, persecution that makes us wonder, is it worth it? On top of all this, we feel our own weaknesses, our own sin nature, our own inability to be what our God desires us to be. This is spiritual warfare. And it's a take-no-prisoners fight to the finish. Now, with all the problems we face in this life, it is easy to take on the frame of mind of this bombardier. There is no tomorrow. There's no future. You may be sitting here today wondering if you will survive until tomorrow. Can you make it the next 24 hours? Now, during the first mission that this man flew, he watched his best friend's B-17 get shot down by the enemy. And he said, what can I do but go to the bar and open a bottle of scotch? He had to drown his sorrows and steal his nerves because he was going to have to go up there again probably the very next day. In World War II, there was no guarantee for the future. No guarantee that the war was going to be won. No guarantee that you would survive the next day. Now, all of us here today, even if we call ourselves Christians, can live like this man on the show had to live. Felt like he had to live. The pressures of life are so great that we can say, well, I'm just living for today. I just want to get through the today. Do what I want today. Numb the pain. Grab some pleasure while I can. The future doesn't even seem a possibility at this point, or at least a future that contains any hope. We can get so weary of the problems we face that we stop considering the consequences of our action. And that's when our priorities get all out of whack and our perspective gets skewed. Revelation 5 tells us that we have a future. There is a future. Even if we die, even if the plane of our life goes down in flames, we know that we have a bright and wonderful future with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has secured it for us. He took the scroll. He secured redemption for His people. So no matter what difficulties we get into, the Lord is a great Savior. And we can believe that and trust in it. And He is available for us all. You know, one of the last things that Jesus says, some of his last recorded words are in the book of Revelation in chapter 21. And I want to end with that invitation, with that thought. He says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the life, to take the water of life without price. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You can secure your future. You can have a bright future in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is come. It's free of charge, Jesus says. Take the water of life. It's freely available to you. And I'm so glad you're here today that you can hear about this water of life. And I want to pray with us now. And I want to invite you to pray with me as we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and His eternal plan. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You have given us such an encouraging word today. And we pray that we would live in respect to that wonderful future that you have promised to your people. Lord, if there are any here today who don't know you, who have never taken the water of life freely, I pray that they would 
pray that you would forgive them for their sins. Lord, forgive us all for our sins. Cleanse us. Help us to turn from sin and turn to you. Lord, we pray that we would put our life into your hands so that it's no longer our story, but your story that dominates our lives. And Lord, may you do your good work in us as we go through the difficulties and trials of life. Help us to maintain the perspective of of what you have already accomplished on the cross. And Lord, may we live always in light of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.